From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk to Bess and Alexa Collins of Keffy Vineyards in Monroe, North Carolina. Bess and Alexa are a mother-daughter duo. Bess is the owner of the vineyard and originally planted Greek varietals to embrace her Greek heritage and as a way for Bess to find her passion. Wine Class with the Wine Mounts is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talk about the Muscadine Grape. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Kathy Vineyards, Bess and Alexa Collins. Welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Hi. How are you guys? We're good. Thank you very much for having us here. Absolutely. So, how about introducing yourselves, telling our listeners who you are, and uh, tell us about Kathy Vineyards. I'm uh, Bess Collins, and this is my daughter Alexa, and this is Kathy Vineyards and Winery, and we're in Monroe, North Carolina. So, how did you get started? How did you decide to plant grapes in Monroe, North Carolina? Well, that's a very complicated, but very simple (laughs) story. So, basically, I didn't plan to plant grapes or have a vineyard. It was kind of like a like a lightning bolt. Um, I was looking for rural property because I love planting, I love being outdoors. My mother and my aunt, you're very influential in my life. My aunt's like my second mom. So we were always outdoors planting, growing, whether it was vegetables or flowers. Um, So in 2008, I was looking for property that was rural, that was out the country, but beautiful. And so I found this piece of property that needed a lot of TLC, um, but it was somewhat affordable with a bank loan. Um, so as I was purchasing it, I couldn't really decide what was I going to do 100% with it. Was I just going to grow things? Was I going to just relax on the weekend? There's a lot of outbuildings, things like that. So just one day, um, I literally just woke up and said, I want to plant a vineyard and have grapes and have a winery in North Carolina. So literally it was kind of a, I guess, inspiration. Um, yeah, something like that. And I remember she actually, I remember like her calling us and saying, um, I'm going to create a vineyard. And I, she's very spur of the moment. And, um, but that's yes. kind of how you have to be when you follow your dreams. Um, nothing that's has true. stopped her since then. But she doesn't really drink wine. She says she does, but she doesn't. And for her to, you know, want to produce something that she doesn't really, I guess, benefit from, um, I think that shows a lot of like Kathy means passion, I feel like it shows a lot of her heart and doing something for others is really like she, I think it's kind of like God creates something and she creates it more for others, which in fact is kind of like a harvest. So That's a great way of thinking about that. I never really put those two, to, those two types of thoughts together. So yeah. I like to say like we provide a harvest year round for everybody. So so then, so you decided to plant a vineyard. So then I guess the next, the next question is how did you decide what varieties to plant well, um, I actually called um, the fellow that used to be at Surrey Community College just to get some advice. He was the venologist there. I can't remember his name now. He's in Colorado now, I believe. Um, he was very kind, very nice. 
Um, and we just talked about my background and he encouraged me. He said, do what you want to do. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You're obviously buying property in a non vineyard area and you're going to take a risk and do that. So do what you want to do. And he said, you just have to study and read and call me if you need anything. And that was about it. <laughs> so I did, I studied and I read, I basically, uh, Googled everything, of course. I talked to people that were wine experts, wine drinkers, and Greek folks. And actually, we had visited Greece many times, and Alexa, my daughter, had gone with me to Greece. We visited a few vineyards there and told them of our idea, and they were very supportive. Um, and so, yeah, that's how we got started with the idea. But my family is Greek. I will not be around forever, and Greeks are a very proud culture. You know, after several thousand years we think we're we know a lot and we can do a lot sometimes that's true sometimes it's not but i do want to leave that pride of their ethnicity and their background to my children and if we have grandchildren one day we get lucky then maybe they can enjoy you can't find a normal band band person, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then the grandchildren i tell them like i want like as many babies so they'll be in the vines helping when they start crawling <laughs> because i do think that's one thing like it's a generation thing and um we're a first generation vineyard and winery and for her to leave something you know like she says mom you're not going away anytime soon but no. um i'm saying you know my yaya which is my mom's mom um i feel like she's here and I want one day for her when she's not physically here to, you know, still feel like I feel like she's here with me. And I feel like here would be she I mean, she never leaves here now anyways. So, yeah. but like um, my brother and I, who Evan, he also helps out a lot as well. Um, but, you know, we're just proud of her and we want to do our best to help her with her dream because it in fact has become our dream as well. That's really awesome. So lots of varieties of Greek that most Americans don't have never heard of, to be honest. Uh, there are probably a few. Uh, most, some folks that are wine geeks may have heard of. But talk to us about the varieties that are in the vineyard and pronounce some of the names okay. for us because <laughs> some of them are, are struggle for. Okay. Well, um, when I decided to do grapes here and also to grow Greek grapes, one of the first things I had to research was where where would I. By, get the grape vines sure. from, and there are many nurseries in the United States, most of them are from California or Washington State, and a few in New York State that actually have plenty of grape varieties, they just don't have Greek grape varieties. Mm. So I contacted UC Davis in California, which does all the research and development for every type of agriculture, but especially grapes. And so they advised me, this is what we have. And so they told me, these are the Greek grapes we have, so that's what I had to choose from. And so they had a few cuttings they could send out um, to nurseries to graft them and grow them for us. And they had more in queue. And they're still every year getting a few more. So um, we have about seven varietals that are coming next year that we've been waiting for for three years. Oh, cool. Um, from them, um, because it takes, it's actually from the beginning of time, which was about eight years ago we've been waiting for them. But it takes a long time to get clearance from UC Davis, and they have to have cuttings sent to the nurseries, and then they can grow the grapes for us and the vines, and then we plant the grapes. So, um, but they're wonderful varietals. Um, they are somewhat difficult to pronounce for many English-speaking tongues, but so are many French sure, and Germans. You know, yeah, they're, they're not easy. I can't really say Gertz to 
I'm going to say that. <laughs> Hurts to me. See, that's, but yeah. that's not quite right either. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> close, close, I think. So I can't even say that, but it's a really great wine. So, um, but we, the whites we were able to obtain at that time was Asitico, a little bit of Moscofilero. We could uh, obtain Malvasia Bianca, which is Greeks and Italians grow that as well. Roditis, um, we got some of that. Diacon, Sinestere, these were all whites. And then reds, we're still in queue um, trying to get reds because the reds we're growing are of Greek origin, but Italians are growing them probably even more predominantly now. Hmm. So the Greek reds that we're trying to get, like Yagiriotko is coming next year. Um, so we're excited about that. There's about three or four that are coming. There's another white, Malaguzia, that we're going to be getting next year. So it'll be years in the queue, of course, because it takes three to five years for the grapes vines to mature enough to have grapes to make wine with. Um, but it's a slow process. It's not going to happen. And that's like Alexa was saying, things are generational. And that's why farms are generational because grape vines are perennials. They're not annuals. They're basically little trees that you're waiting to grow to exactly. produce their fruit. So you have to be patient, which I'm not patient. You have to have a lot of faith, too. <laughs> a lot of faith. Was it six years for your first harvest? Yeah. Six years? Yeah. So it's a long time to wait for something that you don't know is or what it's going to produce, really. So, so you bought the property in 2000, well, 2008, you were, 2008 you were starting to look, 2010 is when you bought the property, yes. and then the vines were planted yes. in 10 as well? Um, the 14 was the first one. The first one. So your first harvest was in? Well, I guess it was in 16, but then we played with making wine, but just practice, basically. We have some of that wine. It's pretty horrible, but we had to start somewhere. Sure. And then the actual first harvest is 2017. Okay. Very cool. And the tasting room opened to the public in? 2018. 2018. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about Kefi. So the name Kefi you've already alluded to means passion. Mm-hmm. What is it, Kefi? What does Kefi mean to you, and what, what do you want it to mean for those that come and visit? Well, um, the word does mean it. Kind of mean it's kind of an unusual word because people say I'm going to go find my Kefi. So that's kind of like finding your calling. The, what makes you get up in the morning and just be so excited to do that you lose track of time. So it's your joy, something joyful. So that's what that means to me because I um, I'm in the medical field and I'm usually in an operating room, closed box all day with two to three people, monitors, patients. So totally different environment being free outside with the sunshine, the birds, the heat, with everything. Um, so it means freedom. It means freedom to explore what nature's going to give us, freedom what's going to happen with these grapes and this wine. Um, the qual you know, we're striving for quality. So my cafe would be to have a fully functioning vineyard that's producing really great grapes and that we can make really excellent wine with. And I think it's funny that I hear her say that, and that's why I feel like my brother and I definitely have stepped in, um, and because, I mean, if you asked me, what, four years ago, if I would do this, I would say, oh, no. Um, you know, I helped in the tasting room, but taking care of the vines is a whole nother, you know, story, and, but I want her to enjoy and see what she's already, you know, done, because there's been probably very few times where she's actually sat on that patio and looked out and see, like, she already has this dream. She already had, I feel like, her Kefi, but at the end of the day, since she is a saint and she never stops, I feel like she always wants to continue to produce more, which is great. But um, I just want her, you know, life is very short, so I just want her to, you know, enjoy what you produce. Yeah, and, and my dream would be, it'd be wonderful, this did become an AVA area, eventually, um, because we, the area we're in, it is warm, it is hot, that's one issue. 
uh, all of North Carolina is, but it is. Um, but, this, but, the, but the actual um, soil is actually conducive to grapes because there's a lot of rock in Union County mm. and there's a lot of clay, which is great for grapes. And so we have to contend with everything else everyone else does with rain, of course. Rain is not ideal with grapes. But um, I would love, that would be amazing to me if, you know, 10 years down the road, there are 10 more vineyards in this area. It'd be great if they were growing some Greek varietals as well, but just to in encourage the drinking of high quality wine in our area would be awesome. Well, it would be, yeah. And it's interesting to find those niche areas that can do that. So like part of the Swan Creek and, and yeah, mm -hmm. Wilkes County is, is focusing on Italian varietals. So. Yeah. It would be really cool to have an area focusing yeah. on Greek varietals and have that in North Carolina would be even more special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think more diversity of grapes would be a great thing because you introduce more people to different flavor palettes and different flavor For profiles. Sure. So everyone knows what a Cabernet tastes like, but not many people know what the Greek wines taste like. So I think it's a great way to expose people. And maybe you find grapes that actually do better here than Cabernet. So. Well, the whole world is getting warmer. It is. Because, yeah. of, you know, we have climate change all over the world. Even France is, I, I, you guys probably know this, but France has been looking into the Mediterranean to say, what grapes can we grow? Yeah. Because even France is getting hot, mm -hmm. and they're harvesting earlier, and they're having rain, and they're having all the same issues we do. So they're thinking, what can we grow? Because their Merlot is not doing well right now. So maybe Merlot won't work for us anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so. they just opened up, I think, a few more varieties in Bordeaux, mm -hmm. Tariga, and some others, so. That were not traditional yeah, were not for France. Yeah. And that's what I think is really cool too is every year you're learning. I mean, you could do this for years and years, and still, you know, a grape that's been producing very good for basically the whole time now for some reason could have a disease, could have something like the climate changes, the soil. Um, and that's what I feel like we've learned probably the most is how to really mm -hmm. take care of them. Um, but I think they're like children, they all, they're very temperamental, I feel like, and it yeah. depends on. Each grape is very different. You know, it could be in the same field, but um, some of them are just so, you know, unique. That, and that's the one thing that we've had, our, probably our biggest challenge, I feel like, is kind of making, as a whole, keeping them all as healthy as possible. And realizing, even though they are perennials, not every vine is going to produce perfectly. Not every vine is going to survive. Row cropping is one thing. You know, you expect some corn not to make it, but when you wait so long, you know, and then something right. happens to the vine or then it, it's heartbreaking, but you just keep replanting and keep going. <laughs> so besides the weather, what are the other, what are the other challenges you are seeing in the vineyard? Pests are always an issue um, because we uh, have a rural area with a lot of, you know, we have a lot of um, wooded areas. So we have creatures, we have deer, we have birds that peck, fungus, everybody that has a vineyard in North Carolina has to deal with fungus issues because is the humidity and the wetness. Um, and then one of the other issues that we have um, that a lot is getting worse in North Carolina is Pierce's disease, which is basically something that's very difficult to control. We're trying to control it, but um, you know there may be a point where we have to change varietals or just choose certain varietals to do better with mm -hmm. Pierce's than others. That's a big concern nationwide. Texas Tech is like the leading expert in dealing with that. but. Yeah, it's a learning a learning curve for sure. What's going to work, what's not going to work, and then adjust as you keep going. Yeah. But it's in the long run too, so normally you can adjust quickly, but with grapes it's like five, ten years yeah. it takes to adjust. So, yeah. so. That's the thing with Pierce's too is sometimes like 
at the end of the day, I feel like it, she kind of told me it's better just to cut it out from the root because it is infected. So any plant nearby or, you know, um, usually will also have pierces, but I feel like that's really hard to cut out a vine when you spent so much time um, working, like she said, like with a bigger crop, you're used to getting just a good amount of harvest, but with, since vines are all very, you know, I feel like unique, it's hard to cut it out completely. But um, I feel like a citical probably is one that has the most yeah, difficulties yeah. here. Which is ironic because a citical is growing very well here. We had a very high bricks the first year that we uh, made wine with a citical, we had a 24 bricks. It's a beautiful grape, very productive, but those vectors that chew on leaves and cause Pierce's diseases have liked it. Now we've replanted a synthical, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> because because we're, you know, there's a lot of um, issues, you know, with keeping up, the, keeping the vines clean and keeping the, the land around clean, keeping the weeds free and all these because of bugs, but not much you can do. We just did the best we can and like she said, kind of a little, a little bit of a wing of a, and a prayer some days. Most days. Yeah, almost every day. It's like blood, sweat, and tears. Like, I mean, uh, for me, probably more tears. Um, but I mean, vines are what is it? Um, I feel like they're they pick up vibrations, and I think you know. She talks to them. She I just not that crazy, okay? But we, I mean, I brought our grapes to um, was it Transfiguration to be blessed. So by the church, August the sixth, the, the church, church the, the church I grew up in in Florence, South Carolina, is Transfiguration Greek Orthodox Church. Um, and then a symbolic thing that happens in Greece, it's in August, August the 6th. So grape, grapes are heavy on the vines and because transfiguration means something changing. So grapes go from being a, a crop to something that's transfigured into something that can last even decades occasionally um, into wine and also, you know, it's a Christian thing, you know, transfiguring us as human beings. So we present the grapes to the church to be blessed mm -hmm. on August 6th. So, Alexa's gotten to do that, so she's like, I, I think please that, bless our grapes. Well, it's funny because we had, um, um, one of the workers was like, looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, you know what? But to me, that is an important thing. That's why I talk about it. Because I feel like faith is a big part of this, um, you know, for our particular vineyard. And um, that's what I want. She's always carried that on with her children. And that's what I want for my future children. But, um, you know, vineyards are very biblical as well. Um, just like, you know, I feel like, how vines have seasons, people do too. Um, so that's the cool part about it. And um, but yeah, so I'm sure people think I'm crazy when I talk to the vines. But like, well, I mean, you've heard all your life to talk to plants. And they are plants. Yeah. So that is, people do say they talk so to plants, not? though. Yeah, yeah, they do. Why not? So let's talk a little bit about working with the vines itself. You kind of hinted at some of the vines have a little more issue, but how do the vines do in the vineyard? Well, I mean, you know, as as almost everyone in North Carolina has to deal with this to some extent, is one of the issues we always have to is late, late frost. So this year we had two days of late frost. So our uh, vines were heavy with grapes and then boom, late frost. <laughs> so, and there's two days of it. There's nothing really we can do about it. I mean, you know, all the movies have people lighting fires, which would take about 50 people per field to do. and. It's right. not feasible. No, I guess we would probably like burn the whole vineyard down <laughs> by trying to save it. I'm like that. We're not wood machines and all right. kinds yeah. of stuff, which is okay if you're, you know, Ernest and Julia Gallo. You probably have a hundred, you know, two hundred thousand acres in one area, so you could do that, but you can't do that very much where we are. So um, that's a challenge: is to actually, you know, 
get through that part. Um, and then after that, because we do have rain and we do have weather here, unlike the Mediterranean, that is water-based, um, there's a lot of growth. And you know, if you look at the vines, I've looked at vines in Greece, and they are fully mature vines, and they look like a two-year-old or a freshly pruned vine here. Mm. They have a few leaves, they're pretty cool. They're not, there's not that much going on and they grow their grapes. Here, it's basically, that's like a haircut every few yeah. days. You know, like to shoot them, it's like a haircut. Shoot them, just fruit, yeah, to take get leaves the, off. The, 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 leaves, the leaves can literally be as big as a dinner plate. Oh, wow. And you it's know, overwhelming. Yeah. Like you get in there and you're like, I'm in a jungle. Like I don't even know. I mean, and that's the hard part is it takes so much time really. And uh, my mom, you know, she's here as much as she can because she works to keep it alive. But it's really me and a 16 year old boy. And then my brother, when he can come, he has a different full time job and he does more business. But um, the vines in itself are really what produces the wine, obviously. But it is. It's an extreme. Yeah, we, I mean, we want high quality grapes. You can't make good wine with poor quality grapes. So, and, and we have been getting good quality grapes, and, um, and hand, we hand harvest, of course, and we hand pick through every grape, which is very time consuming, very hot and difficult in the middle of the summer. But I think that makes a huge difference because if we would not be proud of eating that grape and thinking it's a delicious grape, then we don't make wine with it. Because it might make wine, it just won't be a very good wine. So what variety or varieties are the first to, to bud break and then usually those are the first to harvest, but um, so which are they? Most, uh, most, it's kind of odd, like a cyclical, which is a white, um, uh, it bud breaks kind of medium, but it, it's a late harvest. It takes quite a while to, to ripen. So we might harvest that in early or mid-September. Um, same thing with the reds, but the whites, um, like we have Malvasia Bianco, Rovitis, Ribola. Um, Ribola, yes, those white, those whites, Moscofilo is kind of in between, so it's mostly the whites that get harvested first. Um, we have a small amount, something called Mavron, which we don't have very much, and we only have a few lines. That's harvested actually the first time, usually at the end of August. But, um, and it's not a super sweet grape, but it's just a really ripe grape, it ripens quick, um, and it gives, uh, Mavron in Greek means black, so it gives a lot of great, it's a good blending grape. So we use it mostly for blending. Oh, cool. So we harvest that and use it for blending. We make wine with it, but we use it to blend with other, so we can have blends. And I feel like all the, it's funny because I feel like they all are ready to be picked at the same time. It's like you'll go out there and look at the bricks, which is the sugar, and you're like, okay, this has a few days left. Or, and then all of a sudden, you know, she's like, Alexa, go look. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to go and pick five different varieties. And that's, that's, the, that's the negative. If you, yeah. like, for example, if you're going only Merlot, if you're going only, only Chardonnay, or you have, so the whole field will probably harvest it pretty much on the same day or the same two days. But because we have so many 14 varietals right now and six more that are coming, we could have a month, like, oh, not a month, but like our yeah. reds are yeah. a lot later than the first. I mean, a white may be ready three weeks to four weeks before one of our reds. And so that's, so we have a lot of small batches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of small batches. And, and eventually, I feel like, it, like you said, I think it'll whittle down to saying, oh yes, we can grow this, yeah. but it's a lot of work. It does okay. Yeah, the wine is delicious, but it's such a struggle. Let's just stick with, like for example, Negro Amaro um, was one of our easier grapes to grow. It makes really terrific, delicious wine. So we'll continue to add that. And Moscofilo, Moscofilo, we added 800 vines, um, 400 new vines this wow. year. Um, and we'll keep adding um, because it's a delicious 
white wines, very crisp. And um, we'll add that because it does grow well. Um, but we're, we're probably going to whittle down to maybe like 10 eventually. I mean, just 20. 20. Just, just, just like 10. 20 maybe. is a lot. 20 is a lot because we're a small vineyard. We, and we have, you know, we're like, what do you mean about 20? Yeah. I mean, we'll have basically six acres next year when we plant the, the field okay. that we've got going. That's going to be my next and question. Up to 10 is ideal, I think, for a small vineyard. I think it man, somewhat manageable. So how large is the property itself? The property is 95 acres, okay. but a lot of it is right now in pasture land yeah. in the back. Uh, some of it is in uh, um, what is like, um, you know, not plantable because it's just wooded and mm-hmm. rocky and, it, you know, and the parcel that is plantable that's in the pasture land is way in the back of the property where there's no exposure to anything and that we would have to be prepared to deal with pests and deer. So we would need a very high yeah, fence yeah. because there was yeah. no, there'd be no human activity yeah. except when we're there. And so it's a big risk to the grapes if right. no one is there. It's beautiful. It's a, there's a huge area of land over this hill. And um, I mean, it's just so, I mean, how many acres do you think? That's about 15 acres. And we could plant that eventually. But, but it's so far back there that just the idea of having, you know, I'm just trying to think of us spraying for things, going back there to weed eat, a mm-hmm. bush hog, like moat, that in itself would be yeah. a hassle to get through all this um, I guess land to get there. So and then harvest too, because okay. then you have to all <laughs> Oh, I know. That's oh yes, yeah. I can't. I mean, if you look at just photographs, if you get go to Napa, Sonoma, if you go to Italy, if you go to Greece, California, their vineyards are pretty. They work hard, but their vineyards are easy to take care of compared to our vineyards because they do not mow grass, they don't have to weed eat, and the growth of the vine is slow because mm-hmm. there's no rain. So we're weeding and mowing nonstop, and we're trying to control the growth around the vine. Like we don't need cover crops. You probably right. read a lot about cover yeah. crops. Yeah. When I first read, I had asked um, the fellow at Surrey Community College, shall plant cover crops? He started laughing. He goes, why would you need cover crops? I'm like, yeah, but it's good for the vines. He goes, we have plenty of cover crops. They're talking about places that have nothing growing other than a grapevine. You, you, it's just just you know like it be it could be anything it could be anything yeah. that you plant that grows easily clover mm-hmm. yeah. she said to give nutrition to the body we have a greenhouse and i'm like she's like well one day we can do tomatoes i'm like no no we have enough <laughs> growing here i mean we have a lot of no room more yeah i'm like no more but yeah i think you want double of what we have now i would like yeah i'd like up to 10 would be That'd a big cool. number i think good well, this is actually a really good spot to take a quick little break for our education segment. But then when we come back, let's go ahead and talk about the wines that you produce with the different varieties you have. Okay. okay. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thank you. So what grape are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to be talking about muscadine grapes. Excellent. So more than one grape, I guess. Yes, right. exactly. So. Muscadine grapes, plural, belong to the Vitis rotundifolia species. So as opposed to Vitis vinifera, which we've been discussing all season, this is its own species. Uh, And this also includes Capernaum grapes. And these are native to southeastern United States, so North Carolina. Always a fun thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously they grow really well here, which I will let Jesse talk about when we get to the vineyard. But some fun facts about muscadine grapes is they're considered a superfruit. So we hear lots of talk about antioxidants these days. And muscadine grapes have really high levels of polyphenols, which is an antioxidant, also resveratrol and ellagic acid. And no other grape 
apparently contains ellagic acid. So I don't know what that does, but it sounds cool. <laughs> and so that's, you know, wow your friends with that knowledge. But also this wine is really extra in that it has two more chromosomes than Vitis vinifera. Huh. So thanks. DNA. <laughs> That's really special. Yeah. So one other fun thing is that one of the oldest grapevines in the world is over 400 years old, and it's in Manteo, North Carolina. I think they think it was planted around 1584. The Scuppernong, which is one type of muscadine grape, and so <laughs> apparently in the 1950s, a couple brought bought that property and didn't realize what they were doing and trimmed back. Initially, the the vine was over two acres. It was huge, right? And they didn't realize what they were doing, and they trimmed it back so they could make room for their house. It's like a third of the size, so whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely much smaller than what I imagined it to be because I guess I thought it was still going to be two acres for some reason. And so Yeah. We did drive by it one time. It was, it's cool to see, though. It's definitely on a on – a, if you're a North Carolina, native North Carolinian in particular, it should be on your bucket list of a, something to go see in the state. So, But it's also still much bigger than – a oh, regular grapevine, so it's, it's still massive. Right. It's still massive, <laughs> right? But not like over acres and acres and acres. Right. And the fact that it still produces fruit is like yes, so cool. Yeah, so clearly muscadine grapes do really well here in North Carolina and have a very long history. And they're right at home. So how do they do in the vineyard? So they do great in the vineyard in this area, obviously, because they're native here. So they grow much better here than Vitis vinifera, actually. They grow well in places without much threat of frost because they're native to the southeast area. You know, they're not really cold tolerant, so they're good for for this area. The berries are larger than we see with Vitis vinifera or wine grapes. They have really large grapes with larger seeds which makes them kind of a good crop for just the grapes themselves. So North Carolina has a pretty good market for selling just the grapes at farmer's markets and stuff like that. But in the vineyard, a single vine can grow upwards of 35 feet per year and can produce up to 90 pounds of grapes. So it's pretty awesome. The muscadine grapes just are very fruit bearing. So they provide a lot of fruit. And then as far as the different muscadine, most of the Wine that's made in North Carolina is made from the muscadine Carlos. So Carlos is pretty popular in North Carolina, and it's very vigorous, and it's actually a self-fertile cultivar as well. So that is a good grape for North Carolina. And developed at NC State, so it's a, it's a yeah. North Carolina product there, if you will. <laughs> I guess product mm-hmm. is a kind of a weird term, but anyway, you know what I mean. It's a yeah. native, native grape. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, very good in the vineyard. And then in the winery, it's also a good grape too. The different grapes that, you know, kind of North Carolina is known for with winemaking is the Carlos, as we mentioned, but also Noble, Doreen, and Magnolia. Those are some different muscadine grapes as well that, that are made into wine. Typically, muscadine wines are sweeter. There are some wineries that are starting to make them in a dry style, you know, to kind of compete or compare with Vitis vinifera, but... Historically and most commonly, we see muscadine as a sweet wine, which is interesting because the sweetness in the actual grape is less than Vitis vinifera by the grape itself. So a lot of times the producers have to capitalize, which that means just adding sugar before you ferment so that you have a higher sugar level to turn into alcohol and to leave some remaining sugar left in the wine. The wines also oxidize really quickly. So Muscadine wines are typically meant to be um, consumed young 
and even served a little bit cold. So, you know, muscadines aren't going to be one that you want to store in your cellar for decades. They're not going to hold up. So drink them fairly quickly. Sure. And then the other thing with the grapes kind of goes into the vineyard a little bit too, but the grapes for muscadines are not as high of a value crop. So a ton of muscadines sells for, you know, a few hundred dollars a ton versus thousands of dollars for a ton of Venice vinifera. So there's not as much research and, and, and different things done on muscadine grapes. There's just not as much of a need, but we're definitely seeing an improvement on that in North Carolina and some more research and different producers starting to research different things in the winery with muscadine. So that's cool. There's definitely a lot to learn and a big open field that we haven't figured out yet with muscadines. Yeah, for sure. There's so much, so much we don't know about this grape and um, that's definitely something that would be great to see uh, because it would not only help growers, it would help those who are making wine from the grape itself. And I wonder how much of that cost too is obviously comes from how time intensive it is to reduce nifera versus rotundifolia. If it grows better and easier here, it's not probably as demanding or needy. And right. so it is able to be produced more cheaply. So, all right. And then with sure. climate change, am I allowed to talk about that on this podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, like we're not going to be able to grow some of the things that we've been growing here, even as they, as it, like in the next little bit. So it'll be interesting to see where things go. Very true. Yeah, definitely. We need to broaden our horizons some with muscadines yeah. and try them and all of that. And it's one of the unique grapes here in the state too, because it's produced for winemaking and also, you know, direct sale to consumer. So for the fresh market muscadines. Which some, there's not necessarily a lot of, um, it depends on the grape variety. Like some are better for wine than for berry consumption, just because of look and consumer taste and things like that. But there's definitely a market for both, which is pretty cool. And hopefully we'll get at some point a, a new red variety for winemaking. Typically it's it's pretty much noble is really the only uh, muscadine that's used for red winemaking. Um, so there, you know, there's some concerns that some folks have expressed that what if something, what if some sort of vector happens to be, uh, noble happens to be susceptible to that vector that could mm. end up, you know, wiping out potentially. I mean, it's, it's a possibility. It's not right now. There's nothing out there, but there really does need to be another red muscadine uh, for red, for winemaking. So we've got several varieties for whites that, that you mentioned, but the noble is mm-hmm. pretty much it for red. So, although there might be a few other people that are doing some others, but um, yeah, that's a good point. So you mentioned earlier that the wine itself is kind of sometimes a little bit sweeter, but uh, talk to us about the profiles. Yeah. So even if you're pretty new to wine, you're going to know at first sniff that this is not Vitis vinifera. So the muscadine wine is going to be more aromatic and often said to be foxy, which is kind of like a funky, like almost animalistic <laughs> smell to it. And it's a pretty love or hate taste. Be acquired, of course. I'm trying to be open to it. It's not generally something that I would go for, but again, trying to be open to it. So, you know, you're going to know right off the bat, this is a little bit different. So, you know, depends on exactly what you're drinking, of course, but you're going to be thinking more about like overripe fruit, um, like really ripe bananas or even bruised apples um, come to mind. Some citrus notes too, like lime peels, some other fruit like cranberry. 
And then uh, we were we have even seen rubber cement kind of sided. So think back to your middle school art days <laughs> and that snow, but kind of that more chemically. But they can range from dry to sweet. They're generally pretty medium body and medium acidity, you know, so can kind of go a variety of different ways. Excellent. Yeah, we concur. I mean, we've, we've, we've tried a few. We do like muscadine. Um, well-made muscadine is, is really a good thing to have. Uh, and like you said, it's it, it may be an acquired taste, but it's just different. It's it's just a, it's yeah. another wine just made with a different grape. So it's really just another wine. Well, and I think historically in the wine world, it's gotten kind of a bad rap. So, you know, it's, it's going to take some rebranding and some creativity <laughs> to get that. But that I mean, we're seeing that right now and have been, you know, over the last bit in North Carolina. Cypress Brand has been making muscadine wines for like two decades, I think. I was looking at their website. Not co- almost. Not yeah. quite. They've been growing for, okay, for don't a put while. They're there about 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I, so it's been a while. So, but yeah, so we're seeing that come to fruition. Ah, nice, <laughs> nice pun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so with the, uh, with the array of fresh and fruity flavors, what would you recommend for um, food pairings then? Well, we, we always go with that. What grows together goes together. So, you know, it could go really pair nicely with Southern cuisine, but also not, you know, rules are made to be broken. So uh, one suggestion I saw was sushi with kind of a sweeter or even off dry. Um, That might be a good pairing. How about you guys? Would anything come to mind? Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with this, the sushi and like uh, Asian inspired dishes. I would say like a white muscadine, I would think, Almost anything that you would pair a Riesling with, I think, would probably go fairly well uh, with a white muscadine. Um, red muscadine? I don't know. North, North Carolina barbecue. Yeah, North Carolina barbecue. That's yeah. probably a good good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, so we were talking with, with uh, Nadia and Tina at Cypress Bend, and they were mentioning about, you know, once muscadine gets to a certain sweetness level, people are just drinking it because that's what they want to drink. So you could really drink that with anything that you would drink a sweet tea with. Or anything that you drink a soda mm. with. So you can kind of think of it as a companion to just your everyday meal. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. But with a little higher alcohol. <laughs> yeah, right. You, oh, boy. <laughs> It'll sneak up on you. Anything else about the, the muscadine grapes? I think it's yeah, going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next little bit in the wine world in general, but also just right here in North Carolina. Definitely. Yeah, we, we completely agree. More research, more people trying it. Uh, give it a try. It's a great grape. Yeah. And I need to do some more of my own personal research. <laughs> That's right. We all do. Absolutely. Well, Jesse and Jessica, this has been a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Wine Mouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now back to the show. We're back with Bess and Alexa of Kepi Vineyards. So let's talk a little bit about the different wines that you make here. We've talked about the grape varieties and how they do in the vineyard, but what do you turn them into? Um, so we have single varietal wines, which means you, you have to have at least 85% of that grape uh, composing the wine. Um, but we also have blends. We have a lot of single varietals, and things might change as things go on as we taste our, our grapes as they mature to see what blends may taste better than single varietals. Like we have single varietal acetico. It's a very bold grape here where we're growing it. Um, 
it, it almost gives the aroma. It's not, um, it's not fruit forward really. Very, a little bit of mango, but it's mostly earthy okay. and almost gives the aroma of a bourbon. Like a yes. mineral? Mineral based. It's wine. a mineral, like a minerally tasting, and it's a white. So um, so we have wines like that. Um, the, the, we have Moscofilo, which is a very, also a very Greek grape. That one here has done well, and it's a very aromatic wine. Um, maybe a little honey on the on the nose and um, almost like flowers like floral like roses maybe but the taste is really light and fruity and the fruit is more tropical hmm. almost like pineapple or lychee okay maybe a little pear so we get different you know that's the best compliment that we get on our wines is that they have aroma and they taste like something they have unique taste which we find that very you know encouraging for us we want them to have flavor we don't want them just to be I just drank white wine or just drank red wine. Um, we want you to actually say, oh, well, that's what that tastes like, at least in our environment. I know there's another um, vineyard in North Carolina that grows Negro Amaro. I've tasted Negro Amaro. I like it, but it's we produce a different Negro Amaro here. It's a different... We have a different, different climate. Different yes, soil, we do. We do. water, so... Yes, so it's, it's not... It's maybe two hours from here, but it is a little different. It doesn't have the same quality. We produce something called Aguianico, which is um, a light... Uh, produces a light red, almost like on the orange a Pinot Noir, and very uh, fruitful vine. And we're making rosés with that as well now too. Oh, cool. So um, we're enjoying that. It's fruit forward. We and then our blends, our red blends. We're trying to achieve some depth. So one of our red blends has four grapes in it. Um, it's called Mosaic, and we have Negro Amaro, Aguianico, um, Mavro in that dark grape, and Nebbiolo in a small amount because Nebbiolo is very difficult to grow in this climate. Um, it does shoot out really quick, and then so sometimes the frost will hit it. Um, but we do have enough to encourage that wine, and we've aged that from 18 to 24 months in oak. Um, and we, the one we just bottled recently um, was in Hungarian and French oak, and really a great wine. We're really enjoying that. And that's more, we get more clove and spice and some vanilla in that. Lightly fruit, not very super fruity, um, and, and some smoke too. So, which is, cool. is it's a little like a smoky aroma, which is wonderful in some in a deeper red. Um, and then the whites can go the gamut from fruity and light, like a Malvasia is more peachy and plummy. Um, we talked about the Moscofilo. And then we have a blend that has three Greek grapes that are white. Very unusual. I don't think anywhere in the world they're mixing these varietals, but Rodetis Xenestetintiakon, and that produces. Well, Alexa calls it a sweet tart. Sweet. It really tastes like a, um, like a sweet tart. Like it's very citrusy, so you get the sure. sweetness from the citrus. But that's a different sweet. Right. Um, and then, but I think it's. I mean, she, you know, need a bit of epiphany because it, it's definitely very. Uh, it's like it's very, you know, not strong, but it's you know, it's a full flavor white wine for sure. But it's not heavy like a Chardonnay where it's like bold. Um, it's just a different type of boldness, which I think things is will change too. As some grapes we take out, we say, "Oh, they don't. The wine is okay, or they are difficult to grow." We, things will change, of course, and every every vineyard always change. I mean, that's the mark of trying to make good wine. The wine is never the same every year, mm -hmm. right? Of course. So do you do you ferment every variety separately, and then you do your blending? Yes. Is that yes. what we typically do? Yeah. And do you are there any of the white wines that you're you're oaking or? We oaked point. just one barrel of acetico in the uh, the wine that was 
from 2019 that we're now just now getting ready to start selling that acetical. Um, and I, I don't know that it added an awful lot to it. Um, acetical is already bold. I mean, that year is not as bourbony as I mentioned before as the year previous. It wasn't quite as hot that year. And the skins weren't quite as bronze as they were the 2017. So I don't know, we might, I don't really prefer myself like a buttery white. Yeah. Um, I like whites to be either, either I do like the bold acetical because that's what it does. We have another bold white uh, rimbola that's a little more pungent with like uh, stewed fruit kind of aromas in that one. But I think white, what most people that drink whites enjoy, I think a crisp white, something that's a little light, effervescent, you know, it's easy to True. drink. So with these wines, um, being that they're Greek varietals and the way you're describing them, would would you pair them with Mediterranean food? Oh, of course, yeah. They go great. Um, they do go great with Greek foods. Like the acetico, since it's such a bold white, believe it or not, you could have that with heavy appetizers or a steak. Okay. Because it is a very bold wine. Mosophilodo, um, Epiphany. We also have a grape, uh, a, a blend called Alexander's Agape with two types of muscat grapes in it. Not muscat, but muscat. And that's also really great to go with a salad, appetizers, um, not super heavy food. And then the reds, the mosaic would go with a, like you could do lamb, you know, would be awesome with that because of the smokiness. You could do pork would be amazing with that. Um, we have one called Red Odyssey that's a blend of Negro Amaro and Aglianico. Um, and that one is kind of a, it has a little of the, the spice, but it also has some fruit. So it's kind of a balance. And that one kind of is a medium body that would go great with almost anything. Maybe not so much fish, but I don't think people necessarily pair, you know, their food to their wine always, just as long not as always. it's not obtrusive and it gives, you know, gives more flavor. Like the Aglianico uh, is great with dried fruit because hmm. we started dried fruit on our charcuterie and we have medjool dates and mm -hmm. Aglianico and medjool dates, ama it's just amazing. It tastes so good together. I can see that combination yeah. working really well. And a lot of our um, wines pair well with desserts too. Yeah. So yes. yeah. like Aglianico is really good with chocolate because it brings out that, um, I guess the chocolate plum like flavor. And then Ribola um, is good. I, I feel like it'd be good with baklava because baklava mm -hmm. is sweet and heavy, but Ribola has that caramel raisin tone to it but it's heavy i don't know i feel like they care very well it's a nice compliment yeah i don't know why but and actually i mean so you got any samples here but it is true i mean i think that you taste because like we do have a lot of different t like i guess um you know for example um mosaic has so many different varieties of grapes in it that you could get you could pick something up and but it, it depends on what you pair it with so i think it actually a lot of people do like to pair ours with and stuff because it kind yeah, of it brings out a lot of is meant to go with food yeah as we all but everybody's different everybody's palate is different so someone could say that something tastes good with that and someone else could think completely opposite but you know greek spices are typically like lemon oregano garlic very greek spices sometimes dill olive oil and so yes they the the more acidic wines like malvasia or alexandra's or Epiphany, those would pair well with anything that's a little tart, a little bit acidic, because it kind of like can balance it. And then the reds with heavier meats, like Lukanika, which is a Greek sausage, hmm. that would be great with one of the heavier reds. Um, Spanakopita, you may have had something like that before, it's like filo dough and pastry. Mm -hmm. That would be, you could, Adriana would probably taste really good with that, but you could definitely pair it with almost any of the whites. 
Feta cheese is a little bit heavier cheese, so a heavier wine, it could still handle a heavier wine. Okay. You don't have to go light, light. Sometimes heavier and heavier lets you taste both the food and the wine at the same time. I think one of the advantages you have from doing these complex wines, these really heavily aromatic wines, is you could really pair these things yes. off of each other very Like I, we were talking about Indian food. I yeah. think they would be great for some Indian food because Indian food has so much aroma and flavor going on. And if you have to be careful because then you might not taste the wine. Okay, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, you don't want the food to overwhelm the wine. Right. And person. So when's the, when's the wine dinner and how do we get tickets and... <laughs> sounds like sounds like something needs yeah. to happen. Yeah, we're we're going to be doing. Um, we did uh, just a few videos, but we're going to do some videos, like some cooking videos, where we pair a lot of the Mediterranean and Greek dishes with the wines nice. and show what good combinations are. That'd be cool. Um, so, because I love food, I probably love food more than wine. But, but wine is a variation of wine. Is a I food. mean, it's, yeah, it's a food. Like you yeah, know, she's a, a very product. good cook too. So it's funny because she loves cooking and. Um, but you people use wine to cook with people use but also too like if you have the pair that's why um, Doreen who does the wine classes she kind of pairs that's why she loves doing like the empanada class with the wine and the tequila because they all go together I mean I guess you could say it's passion <laughs> you love food it's, <laughs> it's a coffee but that's the cool thing well that's yeah. to me is the is the thing about that I love most about wine is is you can take you can you can pair it with food, and it typically, if you do it right, it's like it's magic. It, yeah. Yes. But but sometimes. It's yeah, but if you do magic. it wrong, which oh gosh. Yeah. I've learned because like, um, I don't have to even use this part because I'm gonna say mom, but it's funny because they did say the classes like it's extremely important what you pair it with because you can have a bold wine and pair it with something completely wrong, and the wine will not taste good to you. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and that's what I had to learn because I. Well, I herbs, especially yeah. herbal, oh, yeah. like on the like, test, like spinach. You know, it's kind of got its yeah. own it'll like quality. Yeah, yeah, like if the wine is, yeah. you know, if, if you have a sweeter wine, what would you pair this with? And like, you have to think about it because you're kind of like, okay, why well, pair it with this? But it's actually sometimes very opposite. Well, like um, asparagus. What do you pair with asparagus? Because it's just, it's really hard. To, yeah. You know, so yeah. Savoy maybe because you can get some. They say Sauvignon Blanc has an asparagus taste to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, they do say that like a lemony taste, so I can yep. see that. But I mean, I'm 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 having a steak. I want some asparagus, so it's gonna be a red yeah. wine. So. Or like yeah. cauliflower. Yeah. What would you like? Yeah. yeah. Broccoli. You don't, you don't yeah. Yeah. Cauliflower. I would think most any. It depends on the preparation. Yeah. I was gonna say, got like, a lot of garlic yeah. and butter. You probably want a, a chardonnay yeah. or, or something like that, but but yeah it just and it's, 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 fun trying, it's yeah. fun trying it sure. because yeah. you may have something you can't imagine goes well together sure. but it does yeah. that's how we got Reese's Cups <laughs> yeah that's true, true. <laughs> who would have put those two things together right <laughs> so I don't think we really talked too much about this but it kind of came up a little bit but why choose Greek influenced wines I know Greek is very strong in the family your, your, your background your, your familial highs are very Greek but why choose Greek wines well I think we're on the cusp of the Greek Revolution as far as wines go. Although this is the 200th year of the Greek Revolution. Just, just in case you guys didn't know. 1821. It's a big deal. Um, yes, history just in case you didn't know. Um, but uh, Greek wines traditionally, they the Mediterranean climate is amazing, as we all know. Look at California. You grow anything, and it grows well. And so the Greeks were always able to grow really delicious grapes. But they made table wines, which really, the way they made it, it was usually red grapes, they threw the whole cluster in a barrel, 
They added no yeast, whatever native yeast was there, fermented, and then it stopped because there wasn't enough yeast, and they would get lightly sweet reds okay. or vinegar <laughs> some years. Sometimes it didn't taste good. Um, but in the past 50 years, the Greeks have realized we have a, such an amazing product. Why aren't we making higher quality wines? And many of them, Sigalis, and we talked about Gea. There's so many great, um, amazing winemakers in Greece now that went literally went to France, literally studied techniques to actually make a high quality wine. They have you can't make good wine from bad grapes, but the Greeks had excellent grapes. They were just making average wine. So now the Greeks are making phenomenal wines that are delicious that are very different than wines that are available from, say, Germany or Italy or um, California or Washington State or New York or Texas, any of the great American producers now too. So they have a great product, they just weren't managing it well. Now that they are, and Americans and the whole world is so open now with the internet that we all wanna try something different. And we all wanna enjoy something that's delicious and flavorful. So I think they're, 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 they're just beginning to be noticed um, as very, wonderful wines and wonderful grapes so uh, and america is a you know a great wine country but americans were still kind of caught in the french french revolution and most americans drink french grapes yes or right. italian or, yeah. or some italian that's because we haven't even yeah. like the, the spanish spanish, yeah. the spanish grapes are amazing yeah. okay yeah. those are georgian grapes from georgia where wines came they make amazing wines so we're we're just on the cusp as americans about learning about better Choices we have great choices, but why not expand um, our horizon and taste more, enjoy more? There's well, so much more to enjoy. And the thing about American wine, there aren't we don't have all the rules and things that particularly like France has that you can only grow the, this the, these varieties. Greece has that. Greece has that. regions that are only Xenomavro, which is their flagship red, almost like a heavier Nebbiolo, is only grown in certain parts of Greece. It's only allowed to be grown in certain parts of Greece. Mm. Not that they couldn't grow it. But that's just yeah. the way, that's how France is. Yeah. The United States just, is not like that. We're like, you want to grow it? Grow yeah. it. Because that's how our cultures are so different. Exactly. Like, but that's, um, I think that's the funny part is how our cultures are so different. But then again, our wines are also very different. Mm. So it's like bringing it all together. So what's left the biggest impact on you over these years that you've been in business, growing grapes and making wine? For me, um, trying to teach me patience. Because <laughs> I'm not a patient person at all. I'm very impatient, and that's I'm an anesthesiologist, and that's a good field for an impatient person because, in my medical profession, we you know we give patients inhaled anesthetics and drugs, and so you give a drug, you see an effect. You give a drug, you see an effect. You change something, you see an effect, um, and that's why I don't do long term like internal medicine or family practice where you might have the same patient for 30 years and you're just managing their diabetes slowly and might take five years to get them under control where I'm not good with that. I want to see results. Like, so this is teaching me like patience and like Alexa said, to, to revel in the miraculousness of actually having a stick that becomes a vine that has fruit that you can convert and actually make something that's from the earth but that we can enjoy now and for years to come, especially reds, you know, they age, so far our, our reds have aged well and I'm hoping they'll we'll have many years where you know you can have a bottle of wine that's 10 to 12 years old, still delicious. And and seeing that and that patience to see what we get from that. And learning, learning like what to do, like as my daughter knows, when we were bottling, 
Um, someone that was helping us was telling us, oh, you have to turn the bottles upside down. So we ended up with everything that was supposed to be in the punt at the, on the cork. We didn't know that. You don't really need to do that unless you're giving, using 100% natural cork, which most our, our size vineyard cannot afford 100% natural cork. So even something simple as, oh, you can leave the bottle upright, it'll be totally fine. A simple thing like that makes life easier and makes us more efficient. Um, so learning to take care of the vines and learning to make as good a quality of wine as we can is the two important things for me. How about you? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I think for me is being present in the moment of what you have now, um, like because there's so many different seasons um, in my main I guess job is taking care of the vines. I see, like, I can be out here and then two days later it's a whole other season for them. So having to kind of change with them, uh, which sounds kind of odd, but probably, yeah, being patient too and knowing that you can plan something and it may not go at all like you're, like you think it does, but you just have to figure out how to work with it. Because um, we can't control certain, you know, aspects too. The weather, the soil, things like that. Yeah. And... It doesn't really help getting frustrated or, you know, if anything, you just have to kind of go with the flow, which is very hard for me. <laughs> I don't know. But you're pretty good about that. I don't know. You have four kids, so that's probably why. <laughs> that's probably why. You all these things all. that added. Yeah, you have to deal with all of us. <laughs> so what do you think um, you look forward to the most in the future? I think I'll look forward to getting all as many Greek varieties as we can growing to see what they make and to see the quality of the wine we can make. Because, um, I, I, like I said, I've spoken to people at Surrey Community College, and um, some are there now, some are not there. But I, I, the main thing I told them is I think anybody can pretty much figure out how to make some wine, but I didn't want to make it if it wasn't going to be good wine. So I want to make really good wine. I'd rather make less that's really delicious and memorable than you know, make a lot. Um, we'd make more money, but make a lot and just say, oh, that's pretty good. I want somebody to say, wow, that was really unique. I want to try that again. Or I want to pair it next time with spaghetti. Never had that with spaghetti. I wonder if it would be good with spaghetti. So I want to, people to enjoy the wine. So I think for me, that would be. And also just to watch my children grow into this so that they are, you know, they are taking responsibility. They are doing so much. They work really hard, both of them. Alexa's here sweating. Evan's always making sure that we have the logistics of running the place good. So, but watching them grow and learn their niche here and also being proud of what they're doing and what they're adding because they, they're very bright and they can think of much better ways to do most things than I can, it seems like. But also realizing everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. Like, um, I'm more of the emotional one and Evan's more of the illogical one, which actually pairs really good together because as a business, you need both, um, especially when it's a generation um, going off of something that is come from passion you know it's um but i think what you said in any business you put your heart into it whether it's owning a restaurant or you know trying to create and keep a vineyard alive um and i think Evan and i have learned a lot from my mom really just um we fight but like i said we love harder but we fight a lot <laughs> you don't have to add that part <laughs> i think it's a good philosophy though but, yeah so uh as we, as we wind down What's something that you would want your customers uh, to know about Kefi, and what, what's something you want them to maybe take away from their visit? Um, 
I think just just the unique nature of what we have to offer is the main thing they should. And also, I would encourage them to explore to buy wine from Greece, not just this wine, but to see what it's like. And I'll explore. I mean, life is short, and you know. Like I always tell everyone, I love a good cheeseburger, but you just can't eat a cheeseburger every day of the week. You just can't. You know, so it's so much to taste, so much to explore in the world. Visit Greece, visit our vineyard, um, and uh, try to pronounce the difficult names, I know. <laughs> but, you know, take it in with an open mind and realize that the flavors will be unique and different, but still delicious in their own way. Um, and then as we grow and get better at making even better wines, then more people, I think, will be interested to see. What I, it's a learning process. You know, you're never making perfect wine. No one makes perfect wine. So you're always trying to make it better and make it more unique and make it, but like Alexa said, this starts in the vineyard. So making sure that those grapes are as high quality as they can be and protected is number one. But that's, that's my goal is for people to come in and enjoy being, you know, we're not, we're not pretentious at all. Um, and I don't want to, a lot of Americans sometimes get, feel like wine is a pretentious thing versus like a beer. It's not pretentious, it's just to be enjoyed. And if you like, you know, Doritos with your acetical, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> I don't care. As long as you're enjoying the acetical, that's what matters. And friends and family, I think, because like I said, wine, food, that bring people together. So I think, and my mom has mentioned that before, she's always wanted people to come here and enjoy, you know, good, unique wine. Um, and feel like it is, you know, they're an extended part of our family um, because, you know, there's a lot of love that goes into this. Yeah. Well, that shows for sure. So tell folks how to find you both physically and virtually. We have a website, um, kefiwinery.com. Um, and we haven't started a wine club yet. We're getting ready to start that. We haven't done that yet, but you can order online. Um, we are at some, we're getting, we're in a couple of local areas. We're in Indian Trail now, and um, we're also in Matthews at Matthews um, Wine Cellar. And in Indian Trail, we're at the Tap and Vine, and we're also at uh, a gift shop in Waxhaw. We're there, and we're starting to move our wine to different locations. So I would look for us in some restaurants, and we're trying to, we're aiming at good quality restaurants that value high quality food and high quality wine mixed, put together. Um, and that doesn't have to mean expensive, that just means good quality food. And there's a lot to choose from in our area, as you know. Um, and we're in Monroe, North Carolina, 3109 Plyler Mill Road. Um, it's a cool road because it's, um, it's rural, but now I'm calling it the Female Entrepreneur Road because down the street is um, Oshocks, which is uh, like a farm where you can go and have fun and explore and check pets out and do corn mazes. There was a young lady that started the apple butter company and there's another lady down the way that um, has like a kind of a unique fishing hole kind mm -hmm. of experience. And there's so, a honey business as well. Um, yeah. Very cool. So, I was gonna say, so I think it's really cool because this road is very windy and you don't know what you're gonna get. I feel like around the corner, yeah. you come up and um, you're kind of like, I did not expect that. But, it's, but we're close into Monroe, which is nice. We're only about six minutes from downtown Monroe, mm -hmm. and which makes us close to the interstate. It's convenient for lots of part of, you know, from Charlotte, Waxhaw, Matthews. Um, it's really convenient to us. So. And your current hours are? Saturdays and Sundays from noon to six. Eventually we'll expand. We're doing entertaining now. We've got our entertainment tomorrow. We've got a, um, a guy that does acoustic guitar and sings. 
And uh, we also are bringing bands in. We'll be doing, we're starting to do food trucks and events and all that. So we're growing with that part of our industry as well. So folks can probably find out more information about events and that sort of thing on Facebook or Instagram. Correct, and on our website. And at the website, excellent. Perfect. Well, Bess and Alexa, thank you so much for the conversation. This has been really great. I love learning more about the Greek influence, the family influence, and I think that what you're doing here is really great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate your interest and um, keep doing what you're doing too. It's great to promote our great North Carolina state with wines. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Bess and Alexa. We hope you get a chance to try these Greek influence wines. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get Patreon-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, the pork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free run LLC production. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.